Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, gentlemen. Open with me, if you would, in your copy of the Scriptures to Exodus chapter 12, or you'll also find it printed in your bulletin. And we're going to take a look at Exodus 12 and the first 28 verses, verses 1 to 28. So a bit of a longer passage of Scripture. Here now as I read God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word from Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it under the 14th, until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner 
or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped then the people of israel went and did so as the lord had commanded moses and aaron so they did thus far god's holy word let's pray for his blessing our god as we come to your word we ask that you would richly bless it that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds that we would glorify you as your word goes forth and that you would draw people to yourself for we pray in jesus name Amen. Well, in extremes of temperature, and we're starting to get to the cold extremes of, in the south, right? In extremes of temperature, you can die from exposure, death by exposure. And when it's really, really hot outside, you can overheat or you can dehydrate. And when it's really, really cold outside, you can die from hypothermia as your body temperature goes far too low and you kids, you get a, a little feeling of this when you step outside in the, in the bitter cold with no coat or, or no shoes, right? I'm, I'm doing things like this all the time. Precious gets upset at me. I'm not a good example for my son. I'm running around outside in the snow with no shoes on or without a coat. And uh, you can feel just the start of that cold, permeating temperature go through you. As, as my wife says, you can feel cold to your bones i feel cold to my bones and the cold weather this cold temperature it doesn't discriminate does it it goes through and is around everything but little kids what do your parents do when it gets really cold outside what do they do in the house they turn on the heat right so whether it's air conditioning or whether it's a, a furnace or a fireplace that heat is turned on in the house and you know that feeling when you come in from the bitter cold outside and you feel that warmth of the house inside. It feels so comfortable. And after you're in the house for a few minutes, you forget that it's even cold outside. I mean, you know that it's cold out there, but you feel so comfortable and safe and secure and warm inside the house. Well, in the Passover... Just like that cold is broad and everywhere and through everything. We actually, oddly enough, I forgot to turn on the heat last night and the cold was through the house. God's wrath 
as we see in this passage, is broad. And it is over the entire land. And it would be through all of the people's houses, just like the cold, but for that warmth, that warm heat that is turned on, the blood of the lamb that covers the door. And so what I want us to see as we move through this passage is that God's wrath is broad, but his mercy in Jesus Christ is so deep. The breadth of wrath and the depth of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And we'll move through it through the instructions of the Passover, basically. We'll look at the instructions first, and then we'll talk about the breadth of wrath and the depth of mercy. And the instructions for the Passover in the first 20 verses of the passage are broken up into two sections. There's two main parts of the Passover. We're not going to go through all the little details, but here's a quick summary. There's instructions for a lamb in the first 14 verses, and there's instructions for bread in the next portion of verses. So there's two main things, stuff you do, stuff the people are to do with a lamb, and stuff people are to do with bread. The stuff people are supposed to do with the lamb is pick a lamb that is without blemish, without spot, and they're supposed to kill the lamb at twilight. Now some translations you might see evening, and twilight was about the time of day whenever the sun is far past its overhead, you know, think three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon, whenever the sun is setting, but there's still daylight. That is twilight. You might, in our vernacular, it might sound more normal to say late afternoon. Kill the lamb in late afternoon whenever the sun is going down. And they're supposed to do something with the blood. Take the blood and spread it on the doorposts and the lintel, the, the top part, not lentil. When I was a kid, I heard doorposts and lentil, and my mom always made soup that had lentils. I thought, well, this is extreme. They're putting blood on doorposts and on beans. No, the doorposts and the lintel, the cross beam at the top. Well, when we come back for our Thanksgiving Eve service, Thanksgiving Eve, our Thanksgiving uh, service tonight, that time of day when you're leaving the house is roughly the time of twilight. And as we're given a specific time, to, as the people of Israel are given a specific time to do something, it reminds us of how we can be motivated to personal and corporate worship at different times of day. And I didn't think about it till I was going through this passage. You know, when do we normally give thanks and pray and you think about things like that? In the morning when we wake up, we might say, thank you, Lord, for the evening, for sleeping, for this new day, and at meals, right? But I never thought about twilight, whenever that sun is going down. And so whenever you prepare to come back for Thanksgiving meal with for Thanksgiving meal with us tonight, remember yourselves and tell your children, you see how the sun is setting now? This is whenever the Israelites would kill the Passover lamb, where there's still some daylight. This is about the ninth hour, whenever Jesus died on the cross, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And that's the connection. There's no secret Bible code to figure it out. The Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. The one who died to cover his people so that God's wrath would pass over them. And Paul makes this clear in 1 Corinthians 5. He says it right out. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. As he's talking about uh, life in Christ, he's saying, remember that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And this reminds us of another thing. As the Israelites are sacrificing a lamb, it reminds us that salvation for the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints is the same. Oftentimes, especially I think in our region of the country, in our region and and, uh, you could call it maybe our demographic of broad Christian churches, there's a thought that, well, the Old Testament saints were, they were either saved by obeying the law or, or they were saved by, these, by doing these sacrifices, but we have Jesus, so now it's different. That is not the case. The Old Testament saints looked forward to the cross, looked forward to the coming Lamb, just like we look back. And so as they are sacrificing a lamb, spreading blood on the house, they are trusting not in the sacrifice, but in the reality of the sacrifice that is Jesus Christ. Because he is the Passover lamb. That is the instructions on the lamb and what it represents. Now the second portion is all these instructions about bread. And you hear it multiple times if you were listening over and over and over. There shall be no leaven in your houses. You will eat unleavened bread. Remember, there will be no leaven in your houses. If anybody brings leaven in the vicinity, you will get it out and they will not be part of the congregation of Israel. Over and over again for seven days. So you kill the lamb and, for, and that evening and for seven days after, no leaven, nowhere, not nobody eats it, not know how. Right? Now, I am not a baker, nor am I the son of a baker, and some of you might really be familiar with bread making and leavening. I am more comfortable talking about RAM and ROM in computing devices than uh, baking. But for those of you who might be like me, leaven is the stuff that you would add to your bread recipe to make it rise. It's what makes the bread spongy, and it takes hours for bread to rise. And so part of the purpose in not having leaven in the bread is so that you don't have to wait hours for it to rise. It remains a flat piece of bread. Why? Because it represents you getting out of Israel in haste. You have to get out so quick you don't have time for your bread to rise. That's the representation. And that's what we'll see next week, what happens after the plague passes through, the Egyptians say, y'all get up and get out of here now. So keeping the bread unleavened, not waiting for it to rise, is a representation of the haste that they have to get out of Israel with, and also the lamb as well. The way they eat the lamb, in this manner you shall eat it, talking about the lamb in verse 11, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it 
in haste. Imagine if when we come for our Thanksgiving meal tonight that you have to eat standing with your coats on, with your keys in your hand, and no desserts are to come in the door. If you bring a dessert, we have to throw it in the trash can. That's, we'll call that our leaven. And uh, so no desserts, one hand only. Coats on, ready to go. That would be an awkward Thanksgiving meal, right? I couldn't have my pie and my turkey leg in each hand simultaneously. It would be the worst for me. But that is the awkward but hasty feeling that God is trying to remind the Israelites of in how they are eating. It's going to be quick. It's going to be like you have to eat in five minutes. That's, that's the other requirement when you come tonight. We've got to eat in five minutes. And then we've got to go. Okay, this is going to be the worst Thanksgiving meal ever tonight. <laughs> we won't do this, I promise. But that is the reminder of the immediacy of the Exodus. And it also reminds us of the immediacy, of the imminence of Christ's return when we take the Lord's Supper. We don't slaughter a Passover lamb and spread blood. We don't eat unleavened bread. Um, well, we actually do make unleavened bread for our, for our communion. But we're not doing it for seven days like the Israelites. But we do eat bread and take wine, reminding us that you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That when we take the bread and wine, we're, we're to think about the sacrifice of Christ, but we're also to think about the imminence of his return. The Bible says that he will come back like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's coming. It's going to be quick and fast. And so prepare your hearts for it. That's part of the Lord's Supper. Also, with the leaven, though, there's, I'm going to say, the primary thing is the haste, the immediacy of the exodus. But it's also a representation of getting rid of something, of removing something from your life. It's a picture of sanctification. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 5. I read earlier, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. But what Paul actually says first is, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So Paul, drawing on the imagery from the Passover, says you're like the bread and you put on Christ and you're supposed to put out something, the bad leaven, the sin. And so the Bible gets at this in the New Testament when it says things like cast aside every weight, every sin that holds you down. The idea of putting on something and then putting off or putting out something. And so in that sense, the church, in this passage, the church is like a house and the church is like bread. Those are the two pictures. And even individual Christians are like the house covered by the blood of the Lamb and individual Christians are like the bread Really, what Paul says, unleavened. You really are unleavened. He's saying you really are clean because of Christ. And that's one thing I want you to remember. You really are, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, just like this bread 
doesn't have leaven in it, you really are clean in Christ. You really are unleavened, as Paul says it. And then the call is, get rid of the leaven. You are unleavened, but now that, that's what you are positionally in Christ. Now, live that way. Get rid of that leaven from your midst, from your life. And you can think of all the ways in which we need and way, ways you need to do that. It's a picture of justification and sanctification. The Passover lamb covers the house. The individuals are passed over from God's wrath. They are not guilty, standing clean and clear before God. But now they're called to live a sanctified life. And the picture is over the next seven days, but obviously that's an image of our life. We're called to get rid of the sin over the course of our lives in sanctification as God sanctifies us. So in the Passover... You have the picture of the church and individuals being the house and of being the bread, and you therefore also have the picture of justification being declared not guilty, and then sanctification, getting rid of the leaven that is the sin in our lives. Well, the fact that the Israelites need to do this shows the great breadth of God's wrath upon sin. God's wrath would be upon the Egyptians and the Israelites, upon them all, but for the blood of the Lamb. If, if an Israelite didn't cover their household, their firstborn would die. In verse 13, the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Conversely, you could say, if there's no blood on your doorposts, plague will befall you to destroy you. I will not pass over you if there is not blood on your household. God's wrath is broad and upon all sin. I mean, we read it earlier in our confession of sin, that there's no unrighteous, no, not one. The Jews... And the Egyptians, the Jews and the Greeks, the Jews and the Egyptians are the same under the wrath of God. And I want this to be simultaneously a rebuke, but also a comfort. A rebuke because we can fall into performance Christianity. Like, God accepts me. We, we, we understand justification, like, yes, I'm forgiven by God, but then we so easily forget it and think I'm standing right before God because of these things that I'm doing. It's not because of anything that we do or that the Israelites did. It's the blood of the Lamb, right? There is no such thing as performance Christianity. Our standing is because of Jesus, not because of us. Simultaneously, though, that should be a great comfort because there's nothing that can separate you. There's nothing that can cause you to fall out of God's good graces. Because it doesn't depend on you, it's only Christ that has to be the one who stands spotless before God. And He does, not you. That's the great comfort that we have. I mean, um, it's a great, great comfort. The breadth of God's wrath 
is also a reminder for us to be careful with the us-them mentality. Now, what do I mean by that? The idea that we fall into, again, is that we're the church, we're Christians, God loves us, we stand right before Him, and not those enemies out there. Not those others, those other people. There's a us and a them. Now, don't mishear me, there is a very real sense in which God has enemies. And we're called to be opposed theologically, ideologically, morally, to God's enemies. There's a very real sense in which there is a correct understanding of us-them. But remember that God's wrath is upon us, but for Christ. But for the grace of God, that's me living out there like that. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 6. He gives a whole list of sins You know, the sexually immoral, the swindlers, the greedy. And he says, and such were some of you. When we remember that we were just like them, it reduces some of the animosity of the us-them, I think. Now, we are, again, as I said, called to be opposed to sin and called to call out sin. And we should be ready to do that. But simultaneously, when we call out sin, we call ourselves sinners saved by grace. And what would that or what could that look like in a modern day issues conversation? Now, Kurt, Christian, you, are you telling me you're being really serious that homosexuals go to hell? Yes, I am saying that. But you know what? You know who else deserves hell? Me for my greed, for my lust, for my anger. And so, yes, I'm going to answer you honestly and say, yes, it's true that those kinds of sin are worthy of God's wrath. But I don't want you to hear that I'm on some sort of pedestal above you. I am under God's wrath, but for the blood of the Lamb as well. And so we can have that kind of tone and mentality when we remember that such were some of us. You know, John Bradford was a religious leader in the 1500s, and it's anecdotal, it's like questionable whether he actually said this, but the anecdote goes, John Bradford is watching people march toward their execution, and he says, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford, there goes me, but for the blood of the Lamb, there go I. So I want us to remember that as we contemplate the breadth of God's wrath. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul says that. And our language can reflect that as well. So that we don't add offense to the gospel which is already offensive. We let people know that we are sinners saved by grace as well. Well, because God forgives sinners we see that there is a great depth to his mercy. Who dies in Egypt? The firstborn. The firstborn would be the ones of most prominence. The ones who would get the inheritance. The ones who are preeminent in the family. The firstborn will be the one to die. 
Now, isn't this poetically beautiful? The Passover lamb is God's only begotten son. His firstborn, if you will. It's as if God could be saying, or it would be fair to say, I will, plagues will befall my son. I will execute judgment upon my firstborn. It will befall him instead of the house that is covered. That is the beauty that we see in the richness and the depth of God's mercy even here as we see his wrath as broad because his broad wrath is overcome by the depth of his mercy because he himself bears the sin in Jesus Christ. It's, it's deeper than the wrath because Christ doesn't deserve to die. Our sins are placed upon him. He didn't have sin in himself. We naturally, we are born sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are born sinners. Inherently bad. But Christ, who doesn't deserve death, takes it and God kills his son instead of us. And so, the way Paul applies this in some ways in Romans 8 is basically by saying, if God has done this, what else could he hold back? If God has done this for you, church, for you individually, there's nothing else that he's going to hold back from you if he has handed over his only begotten son to be killed in your stead. You might have a friend. A lot of you probably have a friend or a family member that you know, like, no matter what, you can call them and they are going to be there. Or you know that you have a friend where if they call you, like whatever it is, you know, I, have a, I have a friend like this. I know that he, he could call me today and I'd be on a plane this afternoon. You have those kinds of people in your lives, I'm sure. What else? I'm not going to hold anything back. And he hasn't given me, I haven't given him my son and he hasn't given me his son. But God does that. If God has done that, there's nothing that he could hold back. He'll be there immediately. He says it in Romans 8, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him also graciously give us all things? Paul makes this exact application in Romans 8. And so, because God gives the Passover lamb for you, remember that there's nothing he's going to hold back that you need for life in Jesus Christ. He's not going to hold back any comfort that you need. He's not going to hold back any fellowship that you need. And get this also, he's not going to hold back any affliction that you need. And that reorients our understanding of affliction because what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is that there's nothing, height, nor depth, nor uh, death, nor powers, nor principalities, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. It reorients our understanding of our afflictions because it is actually for God's sake, for our good, that we undergo the affliction. God doesn't hold back the comfort, the fellowship, the affliction, the sanctifying things 
the comforting things that we need. He gives it to us all in Jesus Christ because he didn't hold back his son. I remember, it's probably about 10 years ago now, we were living in Germany, and for the first time in my life, I saw chalk on a whole bunch of doors. I was like, what in the world is this? I was not aware of this tradition. It's actually a, largely a Roman Catholic tradition. But it was weird going out, and on all of the doors around Christmas time and the, and the beginning of the year, I saw 20CMB12. So 2012 and CMB was in the center on every single door in the neighborhood. And it's Latin for Christus Mansionum Benedicat. May Christ bless this house. And as I walked out, I just thought, I wonder if this is something like what it was looked like to, to walk out and see blood on every single doorpost and lintel. This is weird. This is odd, right? And as we look around the room, as odd as it might seem, households and individuals in this room are covered in the blood of the Lamb. Not physically, but His blood that is effective for our salvation is no less real than actual blood. We're covered by Him. And that, you know, Christian, you walking around talking about this blood of Jesus that covers you, you say that it changes the way that you, the way that you think, the way that you act. I mean, this, this screams loud. What's going on? When your children say to you, and that could be children or others, what do you mean by this service? What do you, what, Dad, Mom, what are we doing going to church all the time? What is this communion thing? When your son asks you in time to come, what do you mean by this service? Son, daughter, why do we do this? Because God didn't spare his son for me because God killed his firstborn instead of me our children should be asking us that and we should be giving them that answer day in and day out regularly it's because God gave up Jesus for me and he's not going to hold back anything else that's why we do this you shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. His wrath is broad. It's upon all sinners and sin of which some of us are, were. But his mercy is so deep and it covers it in Jesus Christ. And the people bowed their heads, and worshipped. Let's pray. Our God, as we come to You, um, we worship You. We thank You for the blood of Jesus Christ, that Passover Lamb, that because of Him, Your wrath is propitiated. It is satisfied 
thank you that you not only give us your only begotten Son, but that you give us all things in life that we need for godliness in Jesus Christ because you didn't spare him and you gave him up for us all. Lord, help us to worship you and help us to be a witness to the watching world who needs to see the blood of the Lamb upon us and that they need it upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.